Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the Infralogic Crossroads podcast, where I, Emma Pigram, will be speaking to some of the most influential women in the infrastructure and energy space about their views on market trends in a new Crossroads segment, Women in Infrastructure. I am honored to be joined today by two powerhouses in Brazil's oil and gas sector, Daniele Valois and Gabriela Bezerra Fisher from law firm Trench Rossi. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I would just love for you both to give a brief introduction into yourselves, into the women behind the lawyers. Hello, Emma. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm Danielle Valois. I have been practicing in the energy market, mostly in the oil and gas market for the last 24 years, since the opening of the Brazilian upstream market. And since then, I have been actively working on key projects for the development of our country, together with uh, multinationals and also our national oil company, Petrobras. And it has been a rich experience for me and for our firm to take part of this important moment of a developing country as Brazil uh, in such an important area, which is energy. So our experience uh, grew as Brazil grew for the past years, and I'm really proud of being part of our history and, uh, and have always been uh, contributing not only to the projects that our clients have been engaged locally and multinationally, but also on the policy making, which makes quite a lot of difference in the projects that uh, we have been working in the past two decades. So I'll pass the word to Gabi Bezerra, who has been also working in this area for many, many years. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Emma, so much for the invitation. It's an honor to be here today. Uh, so my name is Gabriela. As Danny mentioned, uh, I have been working on the energy sector for over 10 years now, and also historically more focused on the oil and gas sector. But nowadays also, as uh, we all are, <laughs> looking at the energy transition as well. So I have been focusing a lot uh, on hydrogen, on carbon capture, on uh, the carbon uh, market. So we have been assisting our clients to navigate on this energy transition landscape as well. We are a law firm based in, in Brazil. We're, we're also in cooperation with Baker McKenzie, present in several jurisdictions around the world. Uh, so we have a very complete experience in terms of projects and policy making around the world in this area. So it's a pleasure to be here today talking to you and, uh, and uh, discussing this very interesting topic uh, for us. About the woman behind the brand that you were referring to, I'm, uh, I'm married for over 20 years. I am 45 years old. I have three boys. One is 19, who is studying at Wake Forest, North Carolina in the U.S. The other one is 15 and the other one is 13. And I have two Rottweilers and dogs and uh, <laughs> a lot of entertainment at home as well and challenges in addition to the highly challenging world that we live in the professional aspects of our lives. So I just wanted to add a personal piece of our talk. For myself, I'm also uh, married for eight years now. I have two kids, small kids, uh, a boy who's three years old and a girl who is one and a half. 
and also two-step sons. So I have teenagers, babies, and <laughs> the, the very, very full house. So this is also the, the woman behind the lawyer here. <laughs> oh, wow. Amazing. Well, thank you. Congratulations on surviving, firstly, three teenage boys, uh, for one, and uh, for surviving, you know, 20 or eight years of marriage. That's amazing. So now uh, moving on to our first topic. So I'll, I'll start quite broad. So uh, with countries moving into greener energy, do you see the oil and gas market slowing down in Brazil? I think uh, the answer is uh, no. I think that the production is increasing. We have pre-salt, which are gigant gigantic reserves that are now producing full speed and uh, already represent over 70% of the production in Brazil. But we usually see the oil and gas and the and the, the fossil fuels as as a, a a window. So a window of uh, that is obviously closing uh, so there is uh, a shift in 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 how fossil fuels are uh, being um, considered around the world and how it, uh, we are treating this in the energy transition sector uh, landscape but uh, but it's not something that will end tomorrow and it's not something that is supposed to be uh, necessarily a full shift a full from one to the other, the, the idea is of a transition. So the idea is that the fossil fuels and the, the oil and gas sector will live together with the renewables and complement so that in a, in the long shot, we have a transition uh, from being dependent on these fossil fuels to, to have it complement where and it is strictly, uh, necessary. So. Uh, Brazil is a, a very big country. We have a lot of reservoirs. We have a lot of natural resources and uh, the production is ongoing and increasing. But we do see that uh, not only the investors are taking decisions to move, uh, even the, uh, the oil and gas companies to move from being an oil and gas company to the energy, to an energy company and also uh, environmental concerns. We have a discussion here in Brazil around the, the equatorial margin where there were big discoveries in Guyana, which is very close to Brazil, but the authorities have not granted the environmental licenses for that area here in Brazil. So I think uh, things are, are, are moving. I don't see the operations and the activities slowing down right now, but it's a trend for the future for us to be able to complete this uh, transition. And just to add, I think it's not uh, exclusive to Brazil. I think the world won't stop uh, using fossil fuel for the long term or even the midterm. All the infrastructure that is in place counts with fossil fuel. We know that although R&D investments are being made to cheapen or to lower the cost for the production of cleaner sources of energy, they are still high. And uh, there, are, there is the petrochemical industry that we cannot forget. And I think uh, when we look into energy transition, we always look, knowing more deeply the market, we always looking into a complementary uh, role of energy transition as opposed 
to an immediate or mid-term or even uh, long-term replacement of fossil fuel. And especially, Emma, considering that we in Brazil, and this is the case of Latam, we are a new region. We are a region that is under development, different from countries who have benefited from the impact of industrialization for longer time. Brazil is a new country like all Latam countries are new. So we are still building our country and energy and fossil fuel, cheaper energy will always be required for the development of a new country. So not only from the perspective of supplying to the world the fossil fuel, which is our potential because of the magnitude of our reserves, but also because we need that for our industrialization process. Some specialists talk about neo-industrialization, meaning that Brazil will take advantage that it is implementing its industrialization process in the middle of the energy transition, and we could potentially use clean energy for this process. But we know that a lot of R&D investment must be done, uh, especially to use cleaner uh, energy in scale, and this might take a while. And just on that, with this these transitions with these transitions happening at the same time i know you said that it's not going to be in the in the short term or the mid term it will be in the long term what is this long term like how long do you think that will be before we do start to really move away from fossil fuels yeah this is a 1 million dollar question i think my generation won't be seeing clean energy world i think at least for the next 40 50 years i i don't imagine a world totally clean in parallel i see a technology developing technology is magic so we never know what can happen and what disruptive technology could be implemented in one year from now or in the near future. The factor that makes me consider that this will take a while is the fact that the world has developed an infrastructure consider fossil fuel and the changing of it might be burdensome. Of course, that if we consider hydrogen, for instance, it's possible to mix hydrogen to gas and use the existing pipelines. And this is a debate that we'll be having on a case-by-case basis, but this is a difficult question to be answered. I think that at least for the next 30 or 40 years, this won't be totally replaced. I think complementarily, the world will be using cleaner energy. Companies will be positioning themselves more and more towards cleaner energy. I see already some institutional investors deciding not because of business reasons, but because of political and reputational reasons not to invest even in natural gas, unless there is a combination of uh, the investment of natural gas with biomethane or cleaner gases so or hydrogen. So I see a lot of debate about political versus business decisions. And uh, when we indeed look into the business scenario, I think uh, the replacement, the full replacement will take a while. I don't know if Gabi totally disagrees, but uh, I think at least for the next 30 years, we'll still have uh, fossil fuel around us. The part that I mostly agree with is the fact that it's the $1 million question, because uh, I think think that uh, that's uh, the point. Uh, we, Of course, we are all looking at net zero, we, and it's important that we have all these commitments from 
the countries and the companies and that we see that they are serious about it and uh, that uh, actions are being taken. But as Danny mentioned, is, is, uh, there are infrastructure uh, cost uh, uh, challenges that uh, still needs to be uh, overcome. So, and, uh, and also, as I mentioned, it is a transition. So it's not something that it's going to happen uh, out of the blue. Uh, and, uh, but I hope, <laughs> I, I think I like to think uh, that we are progressing and uh, and uh, that will achieve these, these goals. <laughs> yeah, we also need to think uh, a lot on the petrochemical industry and because we talk about no fossil fuel, but if we have no fossil fuel, we have no tire as well. There is no plastic. There is no uh, everything that we do in our day-to-day -day nowadays. I know bioproducts are being developed uh, even in the universities of Brazil, and this is a uh, evolvement that we see as well. But even asphalt, I was talking to a client who is trying to develop asphalt from the, the remaining parts of... Um, of rice, but this is still under technological development. But today we do use fossil fuel for pretty much everything that we do. I think uh, there are R&D and the government, the Brazilian government and the various governments around the world are encouraging company to invest in R&D for the decarbonization of their activities and the greening of their supply chain. But this is a process. I think uh, we are uh, in the early stage of this process. There will be companies who will be the protagonists of this debate. And my personal bet would be that the national oil companies are, they are the NOCs that explore and produce crude oil and natural gas in certain jurisdictions are the companies with uh, the natural driver for investing into projects that benefit the planet because they have this dual role of, of uh, securing uh, dividends and profitability over their projects, but also because of the state status, uh, they also need to look into the into the social environmental aspects of the nations that where they have been incorporated. So uh, Petrobras, I think, should and will be one of the protagonists, at least in Latin America. I see Ecopetrol already investing in, in the energy transition, uh, in, in hydrogen, for instance, because uh, they, they have the legal duty to, to secure that as well, in addition to securing dividends and also uh, profitability in its projects. Uh, and they have the, the incentives of... Uh, development banks and the governments to invest in R&D as well, uh, considering the risks involved, because their uh, ultimate goal is to benefit the common interest, the society where they have been incorporated. That's really interesting. And, and it's very creative as well. I mean, using something like rice sounds very, very creative. And I, I think staying on a more on the political side, um, we're obviously almost a year now into Lula's government. And do you believe that green energy is one of Lula's main focuses? Yes, definitely. 
we have been seeing a clear shift in this scenario from the previous government to the current government. So the Lula government has taken a very strong position that energy transition is a priority of the government. Lula has even said that uh, Brazil could become the Middle East uh, of the energy transition if we compare to oil. So the government has launched several programs towards the energy energy transition. So fuel for the future, for instance, which is a project that is focused on biofuels, on uh, aviation, sustainable aviation fuels, and uh, and also uh, on uh, e-fuels as, as well, synthetic fuels. We see an acceleration program that will invest uh, in terms of public and private investments over uh, one trillion reais, which is the the PACI, the new PAC, so the new acceleration uh, program of the government and, and uh, the energy transition projects have a very big portion of, uh, comprehend a very big portion of these, of these projects, including hydrogen projects. The government has uh, created internally uh, an energy transition arm uh, that is 100% focused on this. So this has definitely been uh, being in in the agenda and uh, and also in Congress we have uh, recently debated carbon capture uh, framework the hydrogen framework the carbon market uh, uh, regulated uh, framework is also being discussed so this is uh, a clear shift and we have been seeing a very clear signals that the government will go in this direction and invest in the country's potential in this in this area. I think this is also true for Petrobras, as Danny was mentioning, that now has an, an area that is focused on energy transition. So taking the, the trend of, of the oil companies around the world, shifting from uh, an oil company to an energy company. Well, I think in Brazil, we have all possible resources. We have pre-salt, high-quality oil, associated gas in volume now, especially with the pre-salt production. We are a green country, meaning that we have land, meaning that we also have a good uh, portfolio of areas where the agroenergy projects can be implemented. Hydrogen is also a huge potential, even natural hydrogen. There are now debates in Brazil that there is a big potential for natural hydrogen in our country. So if we look into the various solar, wind, uh, nuclear, if we look into the various sources of fossil fuel, intermediary get natural gas and green energy, Brazil has it all. I think the challenge is that we are a developing country. We are regulating the various areas that are important to the world as we speak. We are nowadays later on in the process, uh, while compared to Europe and other parts of the world, we are only nowadays regulating and opening the Brazilian gas market. We have a new law that is being regulated now. We hope that the government takes the advantage that we are regulating the new gas law and also include into the agenda or considers while regulating the new energy so that we won't lose the window of this regulatory process. 
but we are changing the wheel while the car is running. So it's a, it's a process, I think, natural for uh, developing countries, but the, all the resources are there. So uh, I think with the Lula government, there is now a clear message that Petrobras will be investing in all these new energies that we are debating. Petrobras is one of the most important companies in Brazil and in the world in terms of energy. They are operating not only in Brazil, but also in other countries. And they can be a standard setter because they have a technological center that is internationally known. And we are really proud of Petrobras. And we believe that uh, we could make the, the change in the, in the worldwide scenario of energy transition. Petrobras now is starting to look to green hydrogen as well. And I know that you mentioned hydrogen as well in terms of it's now in debate for legislation and for guidelines and that kind of thing. And I think based on the policymaking and advocacy work that you have been conducting in the past years in the energy transition landscape, especially hydrogen, uh, do you see Brazil becoming a leader in Latin America for hydrogen? There's a study from Roland Berger that says that Brazil could reach $600 billion in investments in green hydrogen by 2050. I mean, do, do you think that could be feasible? Yeah, I think so, definitely. In Brazil, we have a law, which is the economic freedom law, that states that whenever technology is not yet mature enough to be converted into a law that regulates its development, even though you are not uh, forbidden to conduct pilot projects and implement projects involving that technology just because of the mere fact that uh, that technology has not yet been regulated. So companies can uh, implement green energy projects, including hydrogen projects, by the fact that we do not have nowadays a, a regulatory framework that uh, specifies or certifies and regulates more in detail hydrogen. So there are various views of laws under discussion. Uh, we are actually contributing quite active in the, all those discussions via our for clients via sectorial associations. I am today, because of the engagement of, our, of Trento Rossi and Baker McKenzie in the policymaking debate of hydrogen around the world, I have been designated as the new director of institutional relations of the Brazilian Association of Hydrogen. And Gabi is working together with me in all the activities that we do there. And we have been actively contributing to the various views of laws and the discussion. One important point is that the governments, they need to be conscious that the legislation of the green energies nowadays, and not only the green energies, but the carbon credit market or all the legislation of uh, issues that benefits the planet, they need to be harmonized. And this is a challenge that we see when we evaluate the legislation that are emerging in each country, because we could have European companies investing in the development of hydrogen projects in Brazil, which would be then converted into ammonia and exported to Europe. And the, the specifications of what a low carbon hydrogen 
is to be considered must be harmonized. Otherwise, the world would not be trading globally those new, potentially new commodities that will come up after the energy transition becomes more mature. So we are really conscious about that. And in all contributions that we do, we, we have this in the back of our minds, not only in the hydrogen sector, but carbon capture. We, together with our sustainability team, have always also been contributing a lot with the views of law on the regulated carbon credit market as well, which follows the same rationale. And I think uh, if Brazil manages to not invent something completely apart from the world, which we as a firm and many important players are trying to secure, I think we'll play an important role and create a sustainable energy transition economy out of Brazil, potentially contributing to other nations, which do not have the green landscape that we do in Brazil. Yeah, and um, kind of uh, following from from that, as um, you mentioned, possibly like, harmonizing legislation and what is clean hydrogen globally. And Europe is currently really, really looking for imports of green hydrogen. And so they would be a big market. But since the war broke out in Ukraine and Europe has really quickly been looking to move away from Russian oil and gas. What kind of impact has that had on the Brazilian market? I think in Brazil, we do see uh, an increase in the exportation of uh, the exports of oil flying to flowing to Europe uh, because of course of the of the of the war and the sanctions against uh, Russian oil and uh, Russian oil products. We also, in, internally, we also had an increase in imports in of uh, Russian diesel in Brazil because the, all the Russian products are either under severe sanctions or, or under price cap uh, limitations. So they are becoming interesting for importation as well under these, these cheaper prices. But I think that in general, the, the, the war has brought the world's attention to what we call the energy trilemma, so that, that we should be looking, of course, at sustainability, at cost, but also at security, energy security. So it's it's not something that we should be focusing on, only shifting to renewables and uh, and reducing the carbon footprint, but we're still talking about the world's energy supply, so that it has become very clear to Europe that relying on the on the Russian uh, gas uh, is dangerous, and so we have been seeing all this movement with Repower EU and etc. to move away from this dependency, and of course this creates opportunities for other countries that, as uh, it happens with Brazil, have the national national resources and the infrastructure to be the supplier of these alternatives to the Russian gas. So I think that for Brazil, this represents an opportunity. And uh, we have been seeing in the hydrogen uh, scenario, the in Brazil, we have the ports being focused on developing these hydrogen hubs. So the Pesen port, the Suape port, the Asu port, and uh, although there are a lot of projects being announced, a lot of MOUs, and these are still projects that are in initial phases, study phases, but we do think that these are probably the, the, the port projects are probably the, the ones that will move faster because they can, they have more 
a possibility of accessing these uh, international funding alternatives as Germany has released, uh, for instance, funding for hydrogen projects outside Germany. So uh, we do see this as a, a potential trend, at least to kick off the, the market. Although Brazil also has a very big internal market that would be, could benefit from the hydrogen being produced here as well, or fertilizers, for instance, uh, for mining sector, the mining sector as well. So yeah, I think that, uh, uh, hydrogen is, is definitely promising. We still have challenges to overcome, but I think that Brazil can benefit from this reality, this new reality that uh, Europe is, is worried about energy security as well. And just to add one interesting piece of information, since in Brazil, we don't have the full capacity of production of byproducts, and considering the sanctions that the world is imposing to, for instance, the Russian diesel and the price caps that have been implemented, we import diesel, and nowadays, at least uh, until a few uh, weeks ago, I think the, the circumstances changed recently, but we were importing great percentage of the diesel that we are consuming in Brazil, we were importing from Russia because of the price that the diesel was available in the market and the fact that we do not have entirely the capacity to refine the crude that we have in our country. That's the point of being a developing country. You have the resources, but you don't have entirely the infrastructure and some uh, interesting situation come up uh, because of these dual scenarios, I would say, because we make jokes here in Brazil that we are first world, second world, third world, developing world in the same country. Although we have this huge potential for exporting all the, the products we can have, from time to time, we, we have a shortage on important products that we need in our country. That's the, the challenges of a country in development, just like Brazil. So I just wanted to make this comment as well. I really love the way that you phrase it as well. Like I really like the way that you describe Brazil as, you know, it's in the developed world, it's developing. And, and I think that's so interesting. And that's such a great way to look at a country like Brazil, which is a it's huge and has an abundance of resources, an abundance of intelligence, and but is still developing in that way. And um, I think that, that that's quite a nice way, really, to start to wrap up this podcast. But uh, just before the end, and there's one thing that I would definitely kind of like to touch on with you, because this is our first Women in Infrastructure podcast. And there is something very, very interesting that I think about the firm that you work for, which is that Trench Rossi is a 58% female uh, law firm and has won awards for its gender equality and majority female leadership. And um, I was just wondering, is that something that you've really seen grown in the firm from your time there? And have you seen a change with that in the firm? And how do you like working in a firm like that, um, that is majority female? It's amazing. We are like that because we had inspirational women who were in leadership positions since I was a junior associate, a law clerk. Gabby had the same experience. It's really challenging to be a woman, especially in the oil and gas uh, sector, which historically has been composed predominantly by 
men over 40, white men. So this has been challenging over the past years. We see with the energy transition, a change, a diversification of the people who are now working. We see more female leadership in the energy transition, which makes us uh, really happy to see. But I think the, the important point for us was looking into people who were in leadership position and knowing that they made it and they were successful. And this brought us the strength to overcome the challenges and know that at the end of the day, we would become stronger. And I think, at least in my trajectory, I, I'm really proud of it because there were moments when I thought I wouldn't be able to make it, especially when I had my first child and I had to return to work, suffering, leaving him at home. When I had my second child, when I had my third child, when I had to travel for meetings uh, abroad when they were so small and there wasn't the technology that we have today where we could look into their faces by video and talking to them. We didn't have much knowledge as well on how to deal with this absence because we are a new group of uh, women. I think my generation is probably one of the first generations of women whose uh, wage are equal to men's wage and the performance levels are equal to men's performance level. And this was a challenge. There was a lot of suffering, but I think the main topic is that we look for women who were there in the leadership positions and they inspired us. So I think that's uh, what made me go and, and not to stop and rethink my career. Yes, I agree with Danny and, uh, and I can say that she inspired me as well. Well, thank you so much, Daniele and Gabriella, for wrapping up on such a positive note, all about inspiration. Thank you so much again for joining me today and for a really insightful discussion on the oil and gas sector in Brazil. Please join us again soon for the next episode of Infralogic's Crossroads podcast. This is me, Emma Pigram, Senior Analyst for Infralogic, signing off.